and welcome to Switzer TV Investing. I'm Peter Switzer. We go out Monday nights with this show and it's on YouTube. Just go to Switzer Financial Group and make sure you press the like button and become a subscriber. And if you're already a subscriber, tell your friends and family this is the best place to be to get some inside information on stocks. Now, the last thing I ever want to be is an alarmist. But the worst flu in modern times was the Spanish flu, which killed, wait for it, 50 million people and infected 500 million. It was during World War I, so that partly explains the magnitude of the calamity that saw the Dow Jones index actually drop 30%. But modern medicine and global management of diseases is miles better than it was a century ago. That one aside, the story of rebounds of the stock market out of virus tragedies is a positive one. Since the 1990s, with SARS, Ebola, avian flu and others like it, the US stock market on average has spiked 13% in the 12 months after a major virus outbreak. The biggest was a 35.9% bounce after the swine flu in 2009. This chart shows how the MSCI World Index has responded in a similar way and it too shows a big post-virus bounce for stock markets after a virus tragedy. JP Morgan's Asia equity strategist Mixo Das says, past experiences of market performance around such events suggest that markets tend to bottom with the peak in new cases and news flow. The worry could be social media fears getting out of hand and stock markets are at all-time highs, leaving stocks and markets very vulnerable. But let's hope medicine of today is much better than it was in 1980 with the Spanish flu and even 2003 with the SARS drama. On tonight's program, we'll shine the spotlight on the coronavirus and see how our experts are actually playing stocks as a consequence. Uh, Michael McCarthy from CMC Markets, Julia Lee from Birmingham Investment will join me first. Then we'll have Mike Gable from Fairmont Equities and his charts will tell you how he's going to be playing markets going forward. We've got Charlie Aitken from Aitken Investment Management and Paul Rickard from the Switch Report looking at the kinds of uh, investments that they like for 2020. And finally, my colleague Paul Rickard catches up with Vivek Bommy from Newburger Berman, one of the best corporate bond funds in the world, which is listed on the Australian stock market. Without any further ado, let's go to Michael McCarthy and Julian Lee. All right, guys, it's the coronavirus is now taking over. Julia, how worried are you that this could derail the stock market for 2020? Look, it depends on the duration of the virus and the impacts. Um, and I guess we're still in the stage where we are still trying to find a decrease in the number of cases or a slowing down in yeah. the acceleration of, of cases. And once we see that, I think there's a good opportunity in the market. We have seen from past um, pandemics like this, um, SARS in 2003, we've gone through H1N1, swine flu, um, the avarian flu, mm. <laughs> Ebola, um, that these things tend to be an opportunity and we've generally seen V-shaped recoveries out of things like this. Mm. Right. Well, we do need an all clear, Peter, that's mm. 
key. Uh, the reality is no one knows when that might happen. Now the first opportunity for it comes next week because that'll be two weeks since the Lunar New Year in China. Mm. And despite some restrictions, there were plenty of people who were still allowed to travel. That means the transmission opportunities were very high at that time. So it's very likely in my view that we'll see an increase in cases up until a week from today. Uh, what happens after that will probably decide how markets go. So we're, we're getting towards an answer. If we start to see the numbers drop off, as Julia points out, after that, that would be a real positive. Okay. Let's imagine people watch this program, obviously hold fire, and that makes a lot of sense, people don't know what's going on. And then we start seeing some signs that the, that the infections are slowing down and the death rate plateaus. What kind of stocks would you be chasing? I have a list here, actually. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I think Gee, I'm surprised <laughs> that you've got that, Julia. But good, great. But I think the other thing to be watching out for is the policy response. Um, if we do see China uh, continue to pump liquidity into the markets and also um, adding support through infrastructure projects mm. as we have in the past, as well as other support mechanisms, then we could recover a lot faster economically. We know that there will be a short-term impact, mm. but dependent on the policy responses is also, um, I guess, um, the market will be yeah. wa watching very closely. In the immediate term, I, I sort of put things into a short-term bucket and a long-term bucket. Mm. So in my short-term bucket, I'd be looking at picking up things like Woolworths as well as Coca-Cola Amatol, perhaps even some of the higher yielding stocks um, because you'd expect to see more interest rate cuts come through given mm. that China's such a large customer of yeah. ours here so in Australia. Are you expecting Reserve Bank to cut tomorrow? Oh, I think there's a higher chance that they will cut, but given that we have seen stronger than expected job numbers as well mm. as inflation numbers, yeah. the market's only putting a 20% probability, okay. but I think the next few months we will see a cut. The market's really looking for a cut in the first half, another cut in the second half. Okay. Longer term, we know that tourism takes a bit longer to bounce back, mm. but I'd be looking for uh, those companies with a bit more of a moat. Uh, I mean, at the end of the day, Australia is an island. We do mm. need to catch aeroplanes to get off the island, yeah. so you know, I'd be looking for a longer-term opportunity in things like Qantas as well as Sydney airports um, are areas that I'd look at and maybe even Star. Mm. And what about things like Flight Centre, Hello World, those sort of tra tra travel businesses? I think those travel businesses will take a bit longer to bounce back and it mm. depends on when those travel restrictions um, are lifted as well. But what we've seen in the past is that tourism takes a little bit longer to bounce back than some of those consumer-related businesses. Mm. Michael? Well, I'd like to go to strategy before we go to stock specifics. Yeah. I agree with a lot of the, the stocks that Julie's identified there. But Peter, by markets move the most on surprises, mm. right? By definition, surprises are unpredictable. Mm. So it should be a part of every investor's strategy that at some stage there's going to be a surprise that's going to deliver a negative shock to the market. Mm. So if, if investors aren't already incorporating that in their approach to the market, Here's a good reminder to do so. So those who've been following the strategy, that is being active, selling when the market's high, and they're well positioned for this. Those who've used uh, options to give themselves one-sided exposures, and perhaps are long put options at the moment, are also sitting pretty at the moment. So having a good strategy is one of the keys to dealing with an issue like the coronavirus. We should expect that these things will come up, 
and we should be ready for them when they do. Mm. Now, having said that, I agree. I think it's too early to be going in. I wouldn't be looking at going in until next week. Um, it's very unusual for me, for me as a natural uh, bull <laughs> yeah. to be talking that way, but this is one of the times when I would hold off. Mm. The markets are falling on uncertainty at the moment. Mm. Once we get some certainty, even if it's not a positive, I think we'll see a stabilisation. Mm. We could see further legs down if it's much more long-running than people currently expect. So I'm being very flexible at the moment, as I believe almost everybody is, including the Reserve Bank of Australia. Yeah. And to be frank, I don't think they know whether they're going to cut rates this year or yeah. not. So, yeah. so there's a lot that's very fluid at the moment. So holding fire, keeping an eye on top quality stocks. I note that energy stocks have been hit very hard in this mm. because they're getting a double whammy. Energy mm. prices are falling and shares are falling. Mm. And that means the energy sector down 4% today was the worst performer. Mm. Now there was also an issue around oil search, that's a separate matter. But those energy stocks look interesting to me because the oil price is reaching a floor, whether we look at Brent or West Texas, mm. uh, and if the share market finds a floor as well, that might be where we get a good short-term reaction mm. in the market. What about iron ore stocks? Yeah, a real possibility. The iron ore price has come off from above 800 yuan to around 606 today, it's up another 8%. Yeah. That's a huge slide. I don't think that'll be sustainable, but once again, I'm not going to jump in and try and pick the turn on this mm. one. I'm going to wait for better news on the virus. Julia, you really want to give us a little bit more from that unbelievably long <laughs> list I can see there? <laughs> I guess if we have a look at Australia's uh, four biggest exports, it, it's coal, iron ore, natural gas, as well as education. Mm. And they're the four areas where China does dominate in terms of mm. being a customer. So I guess cautiousness in terms of that, what I'd be looking for is that policy response. If we see a policy response through infrastructure, well, that tells me we'll need iron ore for okay. rebuilding. Mm. But it really depends on how long it's going to take for the workforce to get back to work um, and whether there are any cascading effects. Um, I guess the other thing is, you know, I think back to when I have the flu or if I'm sick in bed um, and let's say the whole family's sick, well, what am I going to do? I'd probably look at, you know, sort of buying stuff online. <laughs> um, yeah. uh, so looking at those type of measures, so those companies with portals and online portals um, to be able to sell into China. Blackmores is doing really well to, um, for the last few weeks as well. Vitamins when you're sick, Echinacea, mm. yeah. Vitamin C, mm. uh, things like that. Um, and Ansel is another company that's been doing well with its protective masks nice. and protective gear as well. So yeah. if you have a look at Ansel share price, don't forget we've seen a weaker Aussie dollar, the impacts on stocks like Am. Amcor, as well as Ansel and Brambles has been a positive one, as well as some of those healthcare stocks. One last thought, Mike? A2 Milk. New Zealand shares in, uh, in general, top six New Zealand shares are all direct traders with China. Mm. So New Zealand hasn't fallen as much as I thought it would have, mm -hmm. suggesting there's some defensive characteristics yeah. there. Uh, and so for those buyers who simply can't stay on the sidelines, mm. I'd be looking at New Zealand stocks. Not just A2 Milk, I like the look of Main Freight, and that was hit hard today. And there's a few others. Fonterra's another one that was hit on a, a, a disappointing production report. Mm. So I'd be keeping those on my list as well as the local favourites. Some great ideas, guys. Thanks for joining us. <laughs> Thanks, Thanks Pat. It's Michael McCarthy from CNC Markets and Julia Lee from Bermuda Invest. Michael Gable is our go-to guy when it comes to charts. I've asked him to look at a number of companies that a lot of people are interested in, as well as the big market indexes as well. Michael, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Peter. Okay, let's just kick off with the uh, S&P 500. That's the one yep. that obviously is the, the US market driving along most markets of the world. Mm. What are you seeing there? Um, obviously, there is some weakness that we could see. I mean, you don't need to be a, a chartist to, to see that. But 
I can see some support fairly close down. So the S&P 500 has had a fantastic run. So we'll hear in early December mm. talking about how good it looked. Um, and you're positive then? Yeah, yeah, mm. we're, we're positive in our video mm. early December. Um, it's had a great run. Obviously, short term, it's looking fairly weak. Mm. Um, but what I've tried to show on this particular chart are the key support zones. So mm. the nearest support zone for the S&P 500, it's only about 2% lower than where it is now. So maybe another 70 points lower, uh, and it may well bounce from that. Mm. Whether it goes to break under that or not, it's impossible to know. Mm. But at the moment, it's getting close to a support level. I think worst case scenario, if it breaks through that, it ends up at the second line, which I've labelled number two on the chart, mm. uh, and that's back to the breakout zone in October. Mm. Okay, so you're not over optimistic, but the run has been so strong, and you've got curveballs like coronaviruses and stuff like that, so it's very understandable. Yeah, long, look, longer term, I'm still positive. The longer mm. term trend is still to the upside, mm. so let's not get too, okay. too worried at the moment. It's just a shorter term. Back. Let's go local now then, yeah. uh, ASX 200, what are you seeing there? Um, so similar sort of scenario, there's a little bit of short-term downside risk. So mm. what I'm trying to show with this chart over the course of a year is, you know, if we start from the beginning of the year, last year, the market had a very nice run and then it consolidated for six months in this triangular formation. So early December we spoke about uh, the likelihood it would break that and rally, which is what it's done mm. so far this year. Showing now how brilliant you are. Yeah, well, it's, you know, everything's, everything's working out. Yeah. So you get, you get curveballs like the coronavirus mm. um, and it gives the reason for the market to pull back. Mm. But if we have a look at this chart, we could see that the market is pulling back uh, in an orderly fashion because we've had this breakout and what it's doing now is it's going back to retest that breakout, which is fine. If it can retest that mm. and show that it's got support, well, you know, that's just another buying opportunity. If it breaks that, then we're looking at it going back to that uh, diagonal line, which mm. is, um, you know, it's another couple of hundred points lower. But mm. uh, ultimately, I think because our market had consolidated for such a decent period of time, that is about six months, then it's not going to, that doesn't result in just a three-week move high. You end up in a multi-month move high. So I think this is, again, just a shorter-term pullback. Um, which eventually will provide an opportunity, but we know the market can do stupid things between now and then. Yeah, and we, we, we have people like you to try and take that stupidity out of the market. Let's go to PME. Now, I didn't ask you this, but you've thrown this one in. Tell us yeah. why it's ProMedicus is the company. So it's, it's one of those, um, I guess, techie companies that are involved with um, uh, imaging uh, mm. in, in the medical space. Yeah. It's had a fantastic run over the last few years, but it's also shed quite a bit of value uh, at the end of last year, mm. and I noticed today that it's up about five or six percent on day on when a bad the markets, day, yeah, yeah on, a, on a bad day, and of course that's a sign of strength. Mm. So, what I've noticed on the chart here is since the lows in December, it's been making higher highs, higher lows. So, what I'm indicating by the uh, diagonal line there are the higher mm. lows. So, mm. it's building back up, and I think it just looks really interesting. If it's a company you like, um, I think it's telling us that. It's finished that consolidation from yeah. the end of last year, and this may well and there be are other people who like it as well. Yeah, yeah. And so that kind of line you're putting in—that's a line that makes you happy when you see it. Yeah. So essentially, what we're seeing is uh, every time a share pulls back towards previous low point, it mm. doesn't get as far as that low before the buying steps in. Mm. So it's 
it's, it's essentially just a sign of strength in the share price. Okay, let's go to uh, Westpac now. And the reason we pull Westpac out, we know CBA's been strong and we at the Switzer Report were backing CBA. Westpac has had a, a, an absolute shocker. Mm. But is there, and as, as share prices lower the consequence, is there any good news there looking at the chart? Yeah, so th this was another one of the stocks we looked at um, end of December, so we're expecting a bit of a bounce. Mm. Um, so what I've indicated on the chart here, firstly, the, the bit that's circled at the bottom, mm. uh, that's, that's uh, I guess, a buy signal uh, in one of our momentum indicators. So mm. we got that uh, several weeks ago, and since then, Westpac's been, again, making these higher lows indicated by that mm. um, by that diagonal line. So it's doing the right thing. I think Westpac over the next few months can rally into the 27s. Mm. Um, beyond that, mm. not really sure new how, chairman, how it'll go. New CEO and, and, and I, noticed that, I noticed they're offering pizza for... Yeah. <laughs> that was a funny ad, wasn't it? $40 and uh, yeah. what can you buy with a pizza? I thought pizzas are a lot cheaper than that nowadays, Michael, but maybe I don't even have pizza. Okay, let's get the zip. Now, the reason why I got zip is um, they're not only in this building, which I, I only realised when I interviewed them at the beginning of last year when mm. they were a dollar something. And uh, ever since then, they've actually had a pretty good time, but then they went off the boil. So, I wonder, and of course, they're kind of, their arrival to Afterpay, yeah. but they're a more conservative company in the sense that I think the credit checks are a lot harder on um, people who want to use them. Yeah. I always figure they may well be like the, the steady... Uh, achiever over time. What are the charts saying about Zip? Uh, for Zip, it's telling me that we could probably get it a bit cheaper at the moment. So mm. Afterpay's had a pretty good run over the last several mm. weeks. Zip seems to be falling behind. And what I've indicated on this chart with the horizontal line is um, a level of major resistance, mm. meaning that it's a bit of a brick wall for the share price. So mm. most recently at that number two point is where Zip tried to surpass the previous little peak there labelled number one, yeah. and it was unable to do so. So quite simply, it gets to about $4 just above, and there's plenty of selling pressure. Mm. Um, what it's most likely going to do from here uh, is pull back to lower levels. I don't know how low, mm. but at the moment it's just telling us, unless you can get past that horizontal line, mm. There are too many sellers, so it'll, mm. it'll probably drift lower. So we don't need to rush into zip just yeah. yet. So is it from... from uh, I guess, from your point of view, you're going to be watching this little up and down on that um, on that resistance line, mm. and if it starts to look like it's going to eventually beat it, that's when it would look like a buy to you. Yes. Yeah, so there'll, I guess there'll be two situations mm. when it's a buy. So firstly, if it gets through that line, mm. it's telling you that all the sellers are exhausted. So yeah. if you're still waiting for a pullback, you're not going to get it. Mm. So you need to buy it now. Um, otherwise we'd be looking at cheaper levels. At the moment, it's telling us it will probably get cheaper. Mm. And then I'll have to look for some sort of sign that the buying's really stepping in and it's telling us that there's a nice floor in the share price. So at the mm. moment, it's not giving us um, that, that signal yet. So mm. if you've done all your fundamental analysis on Zip and you really like it, mm. I don't think at these levels you need to be rushing into it. Great stuff. Michael, thanks for joining us as thanks, always. Peter. That's Michael Gable, the founder of Fairmont Equities. Well, I've got Charlie Aiken from Aiken Investment Management and Paul Ricard from the Switzerland Report here. I have to ask them about the coronavirus. What do you think? How dangerous is it going to be for the stock market? Look, 
that that's almost impossible to answer. Like I mean, without it is. I'm not running away from it. It's like I have no credibility in answering. Like none of us do. No. None of us have any no medical expert. expertise to answer that properly. Yeah. And you're assuming that the numbers being reported by China are true. They wouldn't lie. I'm just like it's. Yeah. I don't think an investor in Sydney can add much value to that question, other than I will be looking for opportunities over the next few weeks to deploy capital mm. in most likely China-facing companies. Mm. You know that that has that that. I yeah. think that's probably I, my I, approach. I think there are two questions. Well, the two things, Peter. A, we hope we hope the Chinese are telling us the truth. So mm. let's yeah. just assume they are. Uh, and secondly, Peter, I mean, we know that a lot of Australian um, companies are very you know, wrapped up in the fortunes of China, particularly those in the education sector. I think tourism. that's a, tourism. tourism probably yeah. has already been stated. Education is a big one, mm. uh, but also we know our resource companies. Yeah. Um, so, look, I mean, it, it will cause a hiccup to growth, a hiccup to Chinese growth, and as whether this goes away quickly or stays with us for a little while. But um, I think most people are probably looking for opportunities. Yeah, to let me answer capital. in a different way: the bond market, the commodity markets, and commodity currencies are currently more worried about it than the equity markets. Yeah. Now, US bonds went from 1.9 to 1.5 in January. Mm. Aussie bonds went from 1.4 to, I think, 0.9. Aussie dollar went down 5%. Most commodities are down 10%. Mm. So that end of the market is a bit more concerned about its longevity than perhaps the equity market is. But the equity market's been very specific in what it's marked down so far. Yeah. Yeah. China-facing obvious candidates. Yeah. So, to me, it's, it's, it's actually quite a hard one to answer, other than you've just got to wade your way through it. And, you know, there may be an opportunity to buy really good companies at really good prices. Mm. It could happen. Okay. But it's all about time. Okay. Yeah. And, and I, I make a point in the switch report today that if you look at the history of it, there tends to be a pretty big rebound after Oh, absolutely. Of course it can happen. But it's just, to me, everything's about how long this goes on for. I know yeah. it's a statement of the yeah. obvious. That you know there, there will be opportunity amongst it. Yeah. I think the big thing that happened over the weekend, Peter, um, and late in the U.S. trading day, shouldn't be underestimated, was the fact that the travel bans coming in place, mm. and that's going to have a bigger impact, I think, than people expect on things like growth and just business. So, mm. you know, this could be a little more serious than the equity markets giving credibility for at the moment. Mm. But Charlie's right. The observations, the the, the markdowns, really been in the commodities and bond markets, the, the equity markets. And that, they tend to be more scaredy cats, don't they? Well, the bond market, come maybe, on, look, look, I mean, Maybe the equity market until Friday had a bit, been a bit too blasé about this. Yeah, yeah. Like, mm, yes, I it agree. affects China-facing companies. Yes, it affects the obvious things. But when you start talking about GDP growth being revised down, which it will be all, mm. all around the globe on this, it will be a little bit. Mm. But the other side of the equation, if you look out more than a month, is you'll get some sort of central bank response. Yeah. So it's a, it's a difficult situation mm. that you will, you may even have the, the slight chance of the Reserve Bank cutting rates here tomorrow. Mm. It could happen. Paul? I think that's not going to happen, but look, don't, could don't, it could happen, don't rule it out, but I think the Reserve Bank is in the, okay. as it should be, is in the hold of the moment. Okay, let's assume that eventually the, the uh, reporting of uh, infe infe infections and then ultimately deaths uh, level off and the market then thinks about rebounding. What, what are the, either the stocks or the strategies you're going to employ this year, Charlie? We don't change too much. So I'm still 92% invested, mostly in United States dollars, mostly in large cap, global, multinational companies, mm. some of which have China facing you know, businesses, including things like Louis Vuitton. So my thing is not to do too much. Mm. Like, you know, I, 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 don't, I think this storm will pass mm. eventually, and there's opportunity in it, but you don't want to over trade these things. So I'm looking for, 
you know, if something like a Louis Vuitton got hit even got hit harder, I'd be very tempted to add to that that investment. Mm. But the U.S. reporting season, which we've just had, has been very good. I mean, our biggest investment's Microsoft, and that was a tremendous result. Mm. I'd be tempted to buy mm. more Microsoft. They've got nothing to do with coronavirus. Mm. Mm. So you've got to not lose sight of the trees through the woods or whatever, whatever yeah. it is, because there's been a really solid U.S. reporting season. The U.S. economy, up until this slight sentiment issue with coronavirus mm. is going well. You've got full employment and like I think that you know broadly that markets were trying to start the year very well. Mm. And this was a completely left field development yeah. that slightly derailed yeah. us. Yeah. So I, I'm really looking for opportunity in most of the, the stocks we already own. Yeah. So I I haven't got a bunch of cash. I'm not sitting there waiting for the world to end. I'm just thinking about whether you know where we deploy it over the next mm. few weeks. Paul. Look I'm a bit with Charlie. I think the Look, this could be a black swan. We don't know. Time will, will prove, you know, will play out on that one. I think there's still two really big uh, trends apparent. One is I think expensive stocks are going to get even more expensive. I think that's more the case in Australia. Your beloved CSA, well, you think that? I can't believe it. At the moment, the fund managers must be so short this stock, right? Mm -hmm. Everyone's got to own it. So, And it's one of the few stocks that's got genuine top-line growth. And I think Australia's just getting into that trend. So stocks like CSL, you could argue some of the tech companies, companies like Xero in the same category. We haven't seen companies with genuine top-line growth. CSL's mm -hmm. different. It's also got bottom-line growth. And I think the market's going to get, make those stocks even more expensive. I think that trend is still in place. Well, I, I can back that up, actually. The vast bulk of our portfolio faces you know, long-duration trends, which are reasonably, inverted commas, expensive stocks at the moment. But if you look at the reporting season in America, all the growth was demonstrated by those companies. Yeah. Now, it wasn't Caterpillar, it was Microsoft, it was Apple, it was Amazon, it was MasterCard, it was, you know, it's just the usual suspects, mm. all growing at double digits in an economy that's only growing at low single digits. Mm. So. You can see why the scarcity of growth is being paid up for, and I agree with Paul. I don't necessarily have a great view on the Australian context, but I, it is a global trend, and the best performing sector in January was the S&P IT index, up 6%. Mm. Worst performing, S&P Energy, down about 10 And, and it's, no, it's mm. no surprise that the top performing sectors in Australia, in January again, healthcare at 12%. Mm. That follows 43.5% last year. Yeah, and IT was number two. Despite the size of our sector at 11%, mm. that followed 30.3% last year. So I think they're going to get even more mm. expensive, Pete. So that's, that's trend number one. Uh, and I don't think that's changed yet, so let's just see how that plays out. And I think the second one is, I think it, people are still coming to terms with this, is it, and you and I have, and Charlie have talked about this, the impact of low interest rates. I still think low interest rates are really biting yeah. and forcing a lot of people into equities yeah. and looking for income. And I yeah. think that trend's yeah. going to continue. So the, the so-called expensive, I think on the one hand, we're going to see the expensive expenses get more expensive, mm. And we're going to see some of the expensive defensives also get more expensive. So Westpac, you, was, Westpac was one you were having well, a bit that's, of that's, that's, that's a stock for I just think it's way out of line with the other banks, Pete. Yeah. But, well, the uh, chase for yield is real, The, the chase for yield if, doesn't if go Australian away. Australian 10-year bond is 89 basis points, and it doesn't matter if the Reserve Bank doesn't cut rates tomorrow, they'll do it at some stage in the mm. next half. They will. Mm. And they'll take them to 50 bips, and then we might head to QE. I mean, we've got some issues to deal with here. Yeah. And they need the currency down to reset the economy. So, But I'm with Paul. The chase for yield is a structural thing at the moment, and expensive stocks getting more expensive is about growth being harder to find. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. those two things, in fact, have become more embedded with coronavirus, to be yeah. honest, more embedded than they were midway through January. Well, that, that's exactly what we've seen. If you look mm. at the market today, CSL basically unchanged, down a fraction, right, in the mm. market for 1.5%. That's because everyone wants to buy it. Now, I, I, I'm a huge believer in CSL, but it's getting fantastically expensive. Yeah. But it just shows you how short the fund managers are. 
And mm. stocks like Woolworths was basically almost flat to up. So mm. what, what did you see? They said that really stocks people have been wanting to buy, they wouldn't they sell off, they wanted to buy. And, and the so-called very secure income stocks that people think there's very low risk on are in I'll, continue I'll, in high demand. I'll make one other point. Like this is a, does feel a bit like a period like August where everyone was looking at the Twitter headlines of flat or inverted yield curves in America. Mm -hmm. If you had sold equities in August, you'd missed in my fund about a 14% return mm -hmm. just between then and December, and yeah. generally you did. Yeah. You know, so these are moments not to, not really to sell, it's to look, to opt look for opportunity to deploy capital because you can rest assured interest rates are gonna stay very low or even be lower, and you will probably regret moving away from equities in a few weeks time, yeah. as people did in August. Yeah. Thanks, guys. And if you want to find out how stock markets have responded to these viral infections over the last 20 or 30 years, have a look at my story today in the Switzer Report. If you're not a subscriber, then become one and take a free trial today. Vivek, thanks for joining us on the program. No problem. Thank you. Now, global high-yield bonds, that's a term that uh, I think we hear about. Can you mm -hmm. tell me what are global high-yield bonds and who borrows money? Sure. These are the bonds of companies rated below investment grade. Mm -hmm. It's quite a large market, over $3 trillion in size, trades almost $15 billion a day. And many of these are, are companies people have heard of. These are global companies like a, a Hertz or an Avis, but also businesses people understand like cable companies, wireless companies, healthcare companies. Now, we've all heard the term junk bonds. Now, these are these junk bonds, or are these sort of a bit between junk bonds and, well, and, and you know, just to th put that in context for us. These these are companies that are rated below investment grade, right? But, you know, the market has evolved, and these are become much larger companies. I mean, the the average revenue within the market is over five billion, earnings over one billion. So these are substantially sized businesses. So, what are some of the companies that? Uh, you would invest in? Oh, sure. It's companies like a, a uh, Fiat Chrysler, like a Netflix, mm -hmm. like a Hertz. So, you know, companies that I think people have heard of in Australia, but again, also also businesses like, like cable companies, like wireless telecommunications companies. So, you know, businesses that are, I think, easy to understand. That's a global market, presumably lots out of the US, but you look at the US, Europe, where, where is sort of most of the companies based? Predominantly in the US, it's roughly 60% domicile in the US, 20% in Western Europe, and roughly 20% in emerging market countries. But to note on those emerging markets, these are all US dollar denominated mm -hmm. rated corporate debt. Okay. So a lot of these businesses are substantially sized. An example is a company called Semex, mm -hmm. based in Mexico, so technically emerging markets, but a third of their business in North America, a third of their business in Europe, and a third of their business in Asia. It's a much larger enterprise and operates just completely outside of the, that emerging market as well. Now, Australians are probably used to these ultra-low interest rates, and they're really <laughs> low in a lot of countries. What's been happening in terms of yeah, the rates people or investors, have, sorry, people have been prepared to borrow at in this marketplace. I mean, similarly around the globe, it has been coming down as base rates are coming down globally with the U.S. Fed cutting rates. In Europe, rates are negative. Right. And so borrowers, while they're still paying a spread, it's a spread on a, a lower base rate. And that spreads come in, and so are these low spreads sustainable? I mean, what, what happens if sort of the world changes and interest rates move out again? Well, it, you know, where we look at spreads in our market, it's still at the the long term average. Mm -hmm. So they haven't, they're not overvalued. And we think, given the economic environment that we're in, of 
low growth but still positive, and low corporate defaults. We think spreads are attractive here. Okay. Now, a lot of Australian investors would be interested about why they should invest into sort of global high yield bonds. Obviously, they can think about perhaps investing in local bonds or through local fixed interest products. How do you say to them about concerns about investing globally versus investing locally? Sure. I, I don't think investing locally is bad at all. It's just this is something where it adds on to an existing fixed income allocation. Right. This is something where it gives the ability to diversify, not completely switch into a global market, something where it's additive to an Australian portfolio, especially given the yield in that high 4, low 5% area, and exposure to more global companies. Right. And now you've uh, got a product that's available locally called the uh, MB Global, uh, sorry, Corporate, in Corporate Income Trust. Uh, you're about to raise some more money. So just explain the, uh, the listed uh, ASX product you have. Sure. About 18 months ago, we did our first listing uh, of NBI raising just over $400 million. NBI is the ASX is stock a, code. Uh, the ticker, correct. Yep. And it, it was met with overwhelming demand. At the time, we were one of the largest fixed income LITs in the market. At that IPO, we consistently traded at a premium, showing kind of mm -hmm. the latent demand of the market yep. and engaging with investors. We saw a, a common theme of, of wanting to have more exposure but not wanting to pay a premium. We subsequently did, it, did another capital raise, raise it, taking the fund size to over $900 million, and consistently trading at a premium. That's some sort of feedback as people are getting used to the asset class and, and liking the returns. And so we're back in the market given the, the premium is, it's trading at based on investor feedback and demand. So you're raising about another $750 million, I think, or close to it. Mm -hmm. uh, this is, again, at a slightly higher price than the original raising, but that reflects what's happened to the value of the bonds in sure, the Sure. The, the, you know, when we talk about our distribution, the other thing we do have the capacity for is increasing the NTA mm -hmm. as well. So we have had permanent capital gains within the portfolio that's raised the uh, the NTA level. Now your uh, the current bond fund targets a cash distribution of what five and a quarter percent. Well, for this it, fiscal year, yep. yes. And and so just talk look ahead for investors. I mean, what what could that go to? Or I mean, could that fall in the future? Yes, I mean, and that, and it's based on kind of global rates falling as well. So when we initially did our IPO, our target was a five and a quarter percent distribution for that annualized number for the first year it was above six percent. Mm -hmm. This fiscal year, we will we will be hitting our, our distribution target, and we always reassess our target based on the interest rate environment. And given that rates have come down globally, both U.S., Europe, and even in Australia, we'll, we will be lo lowering our distribution for that for that next year. We will come out with a, the number at the end of May, but it will likely reduce. Okay, so you think that'll be lower than the, than the current five and a quarter percent? It will yeah. be. Yeah. Okay. So I think that's important for investors to know, but that's because interest rates everywhere mm -hmm. have come down, right? Right. So, but I mean, and when we look at our performance since inception, our annualized total return is over eight percent. Last year, the the total return was fifteen percent. So we think that it, while rates have come down, investors are happy with our our overall performance. Because it's listed on the ASX, investors can either invest directly by buying units on the ASX under code MBI or potentially can invest in the offer. Is that, is that how it works? Correct. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about investors and portfolios because when we started, we were talking about global high year bonds. Sounds a little bit scary. Mm -hmm. So how do you manage risk in that portfolio? Sure. Several different ways. One, it's a very diversified portfolio with over 300 names mm -hmm. in the portfolio. So you could do the math of the average size of each name is actually quite small. 
Um, that mitigates any sort of tail risk because if we are wrong on a name, the impact to the NAV is quite small. Mm -hmm. uh, two is uh, the size of the staff dedicated to the product. So we have over 50 investment professionals globally yep. dedicated, dedicated non-investment grade, many of those in research. And so that kind of deep research analysis we do on each name does a few things. We try getting them on, right on the way in, but in addition, continually monitoring each name. If a name moves more than 5% relative to market, we immediately reconvene our credit committee who is responsible for, for credit selection to re-underwrite the name, to understand what's going on and potentially sell out of the name if we're worried. Okay, and finally, so this is gonna be, we'll have a market cap of over one and a half billion dollars. It'll be probably the largest, I guess, close to the largest listed uh, uh, fixed income trust on the ASX, but you wouldn't suggest that people put all their fixed income money into no, it. So just no. tell me how you think an investor would utilize something like the product. Right. I mean, I, I think it really just depends on, on the individual investor and their risk mm -hmm. profile. Typically what we find globally is non-investment grade that makes up anywhere between five and 10 and potentially even higher as a percent of someone's uh, portfolio within their fixed income allocation. So they and have a, they have about eighty percent in, in government bonds and investment. No, I, I, bonds, that doesn't it? mean it just yeah. it, it's it's a portion oh, okay. of, yeah, of yeah, that. Yeah, and again, yeah. it depends. You know, if you're a younger investor, you generally have more equities. Right. Okay. And as yep. you get older, you're getting more fixed income, and within that fixed income allocation, you know, it's a it's a balance. Okay, but, but it's not everything in this product. No, no. You I wouldn't would, be advised. My, myself, <laughs> as, a, as a portfolio manager in this product, I don't have 100% right. of, of, my, uh, of my savings in, in, in non-investment credit. You should think of it in terms of a balanced portfolio. Okay, well, I think that's really good advice. I mean, I know it's not advice, but uh, sometimes I think we all sort of look for the, the magic pudding solution. You're not suggesting this, but it is an exciting product, mm -hmm. and it is a way for... Yeah, Australians to participate in the global uh, high yield uh, credit market. And you know, those returns have been pretty attractive. So I guess you're gonna get uh, pretty good support. Great. Uh, Vivek Bommy from uh, Newberger Berman, thanks for joining us on the program. Thank you.